Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Thanks, Dan, and hello, RBC. Greetings from the other RBC. It's great to be with you for Church at Home, and it's really great to be finishing off this series looking at the letter to the Colossians at King Jesus. And I wonder what stood out to you from this series, from this look through Paul's letter to this church at Colossae? What has resonated? What have you been thinking about or talking about with your family or your small group? What's been challenging you as a church? When I looked at this letter and listened to some of the messages that people have spoken, the key ideas that stand out to me is this this great vision of King Jesus, the King of all kings, the invisible one, the creator of all, the one in whom through and by and in all things have their being, and the calling to allegiance to him as our king, the claim that he makes in our lives. We've also seen that Paul speaks about this new life that we have in him and in some ways the the mystery of that life and as we try to figure out what it means. Today I want to finish off by looking at the last part of Paul's letter, Colossians chapter 4. So let me read it to you and I encourage you just to listen uh, to Paul's words. I'm reading from Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 to the end. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is also called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you, and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send their greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains and grace be with you. 
So in chapter 4, Paul is concluding this letter he's written to the church, this letter that has now become God's word to all his church throughout history and around the globe. And perhaps this letter finishes in an unexpected way for us. Most of the passage I just read is a list of names. It's the kind of part of the Bible that we often skip over. Lots of chapters like this at the end of New Testament letters that rarely get read in our churches. You might think of them as part of the boring bits of the Bible, along with things like genealogies and other lists of names. It kind of reminds me of when you go to a graduation ceremony and you're just waiting for that one person that you came to see get their diploma, but you have to sit through the list of name after name after name. But every now and then, perhaps someone has really interesting shoes or you get a tiny bit of their backstory, or you see the row of people who have come to cheer them on, and you wonder, and perhaps you realise for them what is true of everyone there, and that is that each person has a whole story that has brought them to this place. After teaching at the last 10 years in a theological college, I've been to a lot of graduation ceremonies, and I have to say, it changes when they're your students and you know their backstories, and you know what they've come through and what they've achieved as they come to this moment to have their name read out. And I wonder if the same is true of Paul's letters. We might not know who these people are, but each one of them is a real person who is seeking to live out this, what this whole letter has been talking about in their real life, in their real place, in their real family and relationships and situations. These are the followers of King Jesus that Paul has been talking about. Their names and perhaps that little glimpse of their circumstances just give us a hint of what we can only imagine were lives as full and as complicated and as messy as our lives are. I wonder if sometimes we should read the letters of the New Testament backwards, where we read these chapters first, because then we would read the whole rest of the letter with their stories and maybe our stories in mind. Because I'm going to suggest to you and that in a sense, this is the most important chapter in the book. Because this is where the rubber hits the road. Where all of those encouragements and exhortations and visions and teaching that Paul has been giving throughout the first three chapters are lived out in real everyday lives. Because all these ideas that we've been talking about over the last few weeks were never meant to just be theoretical. They were designed to impact and shape and transform real people's lives. So in the list of Colossians chapter 4, we get men and women, we get Jews and Gentiles, we get slaves and free people. And I don't know if that rings any bells, but in Colossians 3, Paul named those exact groups of people, saying that they are all one in Christ uh, and Christ is in all of them. This is not just a theory. This has to be lived out in practice you know, when Paul gives his instructions in chapter 3 to slaves and to masters, they are sitting there next to each other in church going, oh, we have to put this into practice. We have to live this out tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So let me just consider some of the stories represented in the passage that I've just read. We start with Tychicus. Paul calls him his dear brother and fellow servant, a faithful minister of the gospel. If you read Acts chapter 20, you'll learn that he was a man from the province of Asia who met Paul when Paul came and proclaimed King Jesus to the region. And then he travelled alongside Paul to Troas and they shared the gospel as they went. And here, 
He's the one that Paul has entrusted to bring this letter and to bring the news from Paul, who is currently in prison, to the church at Colossae. He's a trusted teacher and messenger. Later in some of Paul's other letters, we read of him being sent to take letters to Ephesus and to encourage Timothy and Titus. This man has had his whole life changed by meeting King Jesus. He's given up his family and his security to travel the world sharing the gospel and encouraging those who have put their trust in it. Or what about Onesimus, a faithful and dear brother who Paul says is coming with him as well? This letter was actually sent with another letter to one member of the church, a master by the name of Philemon. And Onesimus is his slave. Onesimus has run away from his master and then met Paul in prison and through Paul been introduced to King Jesus. And Onesimus had realized that becoming a follower of King Jesus for him meant going back home to his master. That's a huge call. Giving up his freedom because he believes that that is what it looks like for him to live out the gospel in practice. I imagine he's coming back with a little bit of trepidation. How is he going to be received? And so Paul is encouraging his master to also live out the gospel in the way that he accepts him. Then we have Aristarchus, who Paul says is in prison with him for preaching the gospel, a man suffering persecution for his faith. He's a Macedonian who met Paul in Thessalonica, became a Christian, and then travelled with him numbers of places, boldly proclaiming the good news of King Jesus to the point that he was arrested. He was willing to pay the price for his faith. Then we have Mark who sends his greetings, which means he is with Paul in prison. From Acts 12, we know that Mark is from Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem actually met in his mother's house. And he knew the 12 disciples. He was a friend of Peter's, whose letter calls him my son in the faith. And you know, when Paul met Jesus, he, uh, along with a man called Barnabas, were first set aside to be the first missionaries to the Gentiles. And Mark was the next one to join them. He was one of a very small number of Jews who was willing to take the good news of Jesus across the barrier to those Gentiles, those outsiders, those people who were not like himself, into the rest of the world. Mark is someone who was all in with Jesus. But we also know that at some point he left them and he went home to Jerusalem. And Paul actually felt that Mark was unreliable. He felt let down by him. And so on their next missionary journey, when Barnabas said, let's bring Mark along again, Paul said no. And Barnabas and Paul had such a disagreement that they actually split up. And Paul and Cyrus went to Syria and Barnabas and Mark went to Cyprus. And so the gospel was still proclaimed, but we get this picture of real people with messy and complicated lives trying to figure it out in practice and it not always going as smoothly as you might imagine. We do know that they later reconciled because in 2 Timothy, Paul asks for Mark to be sent to him in prison because he is so helpful. And we also know Mark most famously went on to write down the story of Jesus told to him by the Apostle Peter and the other disciples so that the good news of all that Jesus had done might be shared with the world. Then we get mention of a man whose name is Jesus, like Jesus the Messiah, but also called Justice here. Someone we know a lot less about. We're simply told that he is another Jew, one of that small handful among Paul's co-workers who were willing to take the gospel 
across the divide to those outsiders. And there's a bit of a hint here that he's actually managing it quite well because he has these two names. Jesus is a Jewish name. Justice is a Roman name. And so these two names indicate that he is somehow managing to straddle both worlds where he comes from and where he is sent to in the way that he's sharing the gospel. We have Epaphras, who Paul calls one of you. So this is someone who's a member of the church of Colossae who is now in prison with Paul. He is also paying the price and facing the cost of discipleship. And here we're told he hasn't forgotten that church that loved him and sent him out and commissioned him. In fact, he is constantly wrestling in prayer for them. Then we have our dear friend Luke, the doctor, also the writer and the historian who travelled with Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote down not only the story of Jesus, but the story of the early church, the book of Acts. What an incredible life he must have lived. And finally, we have Nympha, the woman who leads the church at the nearby town of Laodicea. It meets in her home, suggesting that she must have been wealthy enough to have a household and generous enough to share it with the believers in her community. These are real people with real lives and real faith. There is a messiness to the discipleship that is lived out in all circumstances. And when Paul encourages and exhorts us to follow King Jesus, this is to be done in the real world, in daily lives. And so as we consider their stories, I think it challenges us to consider the stories of how it is lived out among us, in our churches. Who are the people that a letter to this church would greet and encourage and tell of? Where's the encouragement and exhortation to you that what you talk about here, what you have been learning in these last few weeks, what we sing and pray about is shaping and transforming our everyday lives? I'm a guest in your community today, but what about these people that I've heard about? There's Sharon who's given her life to serve those in Uganda and see the goodness of God go forward both through word and deed. Or Marie, who gives up her time to walk alongside the most vulnerable, to provide mentoring and coaching to families in need. Or Phil, who's the chaplain to the cycling club, seeking to be salt and light in that setting. Reuben, involved at ES at uni, seeking to lead people to Jesus on campus. Or Mickey, who's given her year to learn more about Jesus and is seeking to lead others to Jesus, even while working full-time. There's Beth, who's caring for people in need and helping them to learn cooking skills and extending the love of Jesus in practice. Or Mitch and Jess, who are seeking to raise their children to be followers of King Jesus. What about Jeff, who's serving on blessing the, and blessing the community and seeing through Alpha people learn more about King Jesus? Or Lisa, who's serving God in a local school, providing pastoral care and support. Barry, faithfully praying for this church and believing God for more every week. I could talk about Chelsea working as a nurse and Astrid serving as a Cairo and Bron as a teacher, all of them seeking to be role models and disciples in their everyday setting. And I'm sure the list could go on and on. This is where the rubber hits the road for this community. This is where what we talk about and sing about is lived out in the everyday arena of our everyday lives. How are we encouraging and exhorting one another like Paul does in our faithful discipleship of King Jesus? 
How are we caring for each other and praying for one another that we might live this out with all its ups and downs and blessings and messiness and complications and costs and sacrifices and joys and expectations? I'd encourage you to look around at your church community this week and be encouraged and inspired and challenged by the ways you see one another seeking to live and walk out your faith in King Jesus. And maybe let each other know like Paul does when you see it happening in practice. Give that word of encouragement and exhortation as you walk it out. Now, I use that phrase deliberately, walking. One of the things I have discovered across the whole Bible is actually how commonly our feet are spoken of as one of the ways we live out our faith in practice. Walking is a primary description of the life of faith because it's about where our feet take us every day. It's also been actually a bit of a theme throughout this letter. I don't know if you've noticed it. Sometimes it's skewed a little bit by the translations we use. But way back in chapter 1, when Paul prays for this church, he prays that they might walk worthy of King Jesus, that they might step it out. In chapter 2, he says, Having heard who King Jesus is in all his glorious fullness, receive him and walk in him. Then in chapter 3, he actually compares the ways we used to walk in, immorality and selfishness and impurity, and calls us to walk in our new shoes with our new clothes on. And even here in chapter 4, it's not in the NIV translation, but in the Greek, the prayer is literally that we might be those who are in wisdom walking towards outsiders, bringing the gospel with our feet. We're not talking about a metaphor here, something like, you know, my daily walk with Jesus as if it's some theoretical idea. But it's the way that we actually go about and engage with the world around us as God leads us and takes us into the everyday spaces of our lives and our neighbourhoods and our community. And so Paul's call at the end of this letter is actually a call to mission. It's a call of sending out. He reminds us that this living and walking is not done in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, in dependence upon God, we need to seek him to be praying for ourselves and for one another and for our church that we might live out and walk this every day. How do we do this? Well, I want to finish today by looking at those first few verses of the passage we read that I kind of skipped over because in Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae, he actually gives us some really specific ways that we can be praying and responding in our mission to live this out. He calls us to devote ourselves to this kind of prayer, to see communication with God and dependence upon him and listening to him and sharing with him as essential, something that we commit our time and energy and passion to. When we come together before God in this attitude that we call prayer, this mysterious space of participating in the divine conversation, of spending time speaking and listening to God, this is one of the most powerful ways we can engage in mission. It's how we are prepared and equipped and energised for the reality of walking with King Jesus every day. So let me finish Bit of a whip through, there are seven specific things in these first four verses of Colossians 4 from verse 2 to 6 about this kind of prayer for mission. He says, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful. That's number one, watchful. This is waiting upon God, listening, being receptive, not rushing in with our own agenda and ideas or our list of requests, but taking time and space to acknowledge and receive the presence of God, 
to anticipate, wait upon him, ask him what's next and wait to hear what he says. I want to connect each of these prayers uh, to a part of the body and this is probably the strangest one to do it, but I actually think this is about taking time to breathe, maybe to open your nose quite deeply before you rush out into mission. Just, what is the Spirit saying? Let me wait upon God, watchfully waiting before we go. And number two, he says, be thankful. Thankfully is about having open hands, naming what God has done and appreciating the things that he has given us, big and small, the stories among us, some of which I've touched on today, gratefully receiving who Jesus is to us and what he's done for us. I think that's what sets us up for a big faith in what's going to come next. When we actually realize all that God has given, we will expect him to give even more. We've seen what he has done and we are waiting expectant for what he will do in a posture of thankfulness. Then Paul says, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. There is a time for asking. We wait upon God, but we can be bold in our requests. And I love this image of an open door because this isn't about forcing our faith on other people, but we pray to God to go before us and show us where he has called us, where there's openness and opportunity, where there's need and invitation, and then we can step out into it. You know, if the door is open, it means you don't have to knock. You don't have to unlock it or push it or even turn the handle. You just walk through it. This is a prayer that we might have, if you like, open feet. Feet that are ready to walk into the spaces that God has provided for us to take the message in our lives and in our words of King Jesus. Of course, it's not just a matter of stepping out. Paul says, pray that I might boldly proclaim the message as I should. The mouth has a part to play as well. The feet take us into those everyday spaces. But Paul's prayer for himself is that once that door has been opened, may I have the opportunity to speak the name of King Jesus. Prayer means that we're trusting the Spirit to speak through us. And this is actually in the prayer, it's really the only Paul but sorry, the only prayer Paul prays for himself, <laughs> that he might be confident to be able to speak out what he knows of King Jesus, to have the courage to say, this is what's happened to me and I want to tell you about it so that you might experience it for yourselves. It's a prayer that our mouths might be open. And then the last couple of things, maybe you think are not prayers, but Paul is still speaking in an attitude of prayer. And he says to the Colossians, be wise in the way you walk towards outsiders. So we are walking with wisdom, not just crashing our way through, but uh, Paul's prayer leads him to this exhortation that the way we go about it is with discernment. Again, faith and trust, listening for the Spirit, listening for God's guidance, gaining God's heart and hearing his call to reflect who he is and step out trusting in that. So I think this is perhaps a prayer of, of open ears. If we're doing it wisely, we're listening for the wisdom and discernment of God to guide us as we go. Number six is making the most of every opportunity, Paul says. Being ready. Not having to make things happen, but being prepared so that you will recognize the moment when it comes. Ask God for the openness to see, whether it's in your workplace or your neighborhood, your school or even your family. Are you ready when God shows you this is the moment where you can declare King Jesus? And finally, Paul says, let your conversation when you do speak always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer everyone. 
being responsive, that when the opportunity comes and you speak, you might be prepared to give an answer to those who ask you, but doing it with a posture and an attitude of graciousness and respect. I think we all know the danger of people who just go in and speak the words that they've prepared to say without paying attention to how they might come across. But here, Paul doesn't want us to use that as an excuse not to speak at all. I love what Michael Frost says on this. He says that as the church, we should be living questionable lives. <laughs> questionable in the sense that they provoke questions. That we live out our faith in practice. We walk it day by day in such a way that people say, hey, what's, what's going on in Mickey? What's happening in Sharon? Why is Phil doing that? And then we have the opportunity to respond with grace and salt and point people to Jesus that our tongues may speak and declare his great name and invite them to know him as well. So I hope this chapter is an encouragement to us that this is to be lived out in our everyday lives, but not a burden on us that we have to make it happen, but a reminder to us to come again to God in a prayer that is very practical, that asks God to open us up and equip us to enter into those spaces of our everyday lives with confidence that he is at work in and through us. So let me pray that prayer for you today, RBC. Let's pray. King Jesus, we pray that we might be open, that we would have open feet ready to walk through the doors that you are opening up for us that we would have open hands, thankful for what you have already done and expectant for what you are wanting to do, that we would have open eyes and ears to see when there is an opportunity and to discern the wisdom of when to speak and when not to speak. And when you give us those opportunities, open our mouths and speak through us by the power of your Spirit, that the lives we live in practice as followers of King Jesus may proclaim to those around us the invitation to join us and experience the reality of transformation in their everyday, messy, complicated lives as well. And we pray this in the powerful and mighty name of King Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through the hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.